0: The ETF Edge podcast is sponsored by Invesco QQQ, supporting the innovators changing the world. Invesco Distributors, Inc.
1: Welcome to ETF Edge, the podcast. If you're looking to learn the latest insights on all things exchange-traded funds, you're in the right place, my friends. Every week, we're bringing you interviews and market analysis and breaking down what it all means for investors. I'm your host, Bob Fasani. As markets ride out the wave of worries over higher interest rates, we're tracking the action today and discussing what it all means for high-yield bond fund flows. Here's my conversation with John Davi, CIO of Astoria Portfolio Advisors, Isaac Braley, president of BTS Asset Management, and Steve Lapley, head of U.S. iShares Fixed Income Strategy at BlackRock. Steve, let me start with you. You oversee the iShares High Yield ETF. That's the symbol J and K, excuse me. Uh, and the important thing here, I think, is what is going on with the fund flows for this? Are you seeing significant outflows, inflows? How are investors reacting to these, uh, this higher-yield environment?
2: Yeah, so HYG um, is a bit of a specific case within our suite. Um, it tends to be a product that's used um, by uh, institutional investors to make rapid adjustments in their portfolios. So last year, we saw a very significant inflows um, as risk-on set in. Um, going you know towards the end of the year, we've seen some outflows this year as uh, as some investors have taken money off the table. Um, if you look at uh, across our suite at some of our broader products, um, we've had inflows into, for example, our our factor fund USH or um, HYDB. We've had uh, flows into um, our broader high yield fund USHY. So. I think there's some segmentation in investor behavior, um, and it you, you're you starting to see people bifurcate in terms of holding period as well.
1: Yeah, you know, most high-yield funds like yours, like HYG, are throwing off yield in the 4.5% range, I guess, right now. Uh, it's still fairly low for the risks that are involved here. Well, what's your big-picture view of of high-yield investing right now? is. Are, are you giving any broad advice to investors? Because this is one of the most popular asset classes. It's one of the questions I get asked all the time. What should I do with my high-yield fund?
2: So, yeah, if you look at where spreads are right now, we, we certainly um, have come a long way um, since uh, last spring. Um, so we topped out last spring at around uh, 1,100 uh, basis points um, over Treasuries, and now we're back down to the you know, sort of low to mid-threes, 300 range. So um, spreads have come in quite a bit. Um, I think, you know, the way you have to sort of look at this going forward is there's probably not going to be very much price return from further spread tightening. Um, You're thinking more about uh, income and carry off of that. And then you need to focus on um, what's happening with with fundamentals. And so what we see right now, um, we see default rates starting to fall. Um, They were in sort of the mid six range um most of the street estimates have high yield default rates falling to you know anywhere from sort of the low twos to the mid three to four percent range hygs uh, spread right now is implying um, a default rate of around that four percent range um, upgrades are outpacing downgrades right now um, in high yield um, you're seeing improvements in fundamentals in terms of interest coverage um, and even recoveries are, are starting to edge up so if you're thinking about that long-term income carry trade, um, you, know, you have to believe that there's going to be a handoff from the current stimulus measures into longer-term growth in the economy um, and that those fundamentals will persist and allow you uh, to con- continue to earn that income.
1: All right, Isaac, you don't run a fund, but you do trade these high-yield ETFs. Um, what's your view of the impact of higher rates on high yield, what are you what are you telling your investors now, your clients now, and how are you trading these?
0: Yeah, I mean we we run funds and SMAs, and and I think for us, high yields is our primary trading tool, and, and we're defensive right now. I think that you know, what was brought before about default rates is true. We do see a, a collapse in default rates this year, but it's been pretty frustrating as defaults have stayed around that 6.15 level. And normally they fall off a cliff as soon as the recovery starts to happen. So that's been tough because that's a 77% increase in defaults over the past 30 years or so. And then when we look at spreads that that were just brought up, those mid threes, uh, you know, that's a a nearly 30% reduction over what we're historically seeing. And then the bad part, you know, the part that we need to watch very carefully is really the recovery rates because it makes defaults look even worse than reality. If we look at our recovery rates right now, we've improved significantly, but we're around 21 to 22 cents on the dollar. And if we go back to even the the Great Recession, that was 27 cents in the dollar. Uh, the only times we see numbers like this are, are more in the 90s correction and uh, in, in the dot-com. So there is, <clears throat> there is risk right now. We do believe the fundamentals are improving, but one thing about high yields is Really, this rising star element, you know, the, the Kraft Heinz of the world is now performing significantly better, acting very much like investment-grade bonds. You have to go all the yeah. way down to triple Cs to find, find the return you want.
1: So, uh, Isaac, why are, why are the uh, recovery rates so so crummy, 20 percent? Why are they so low?
0: Yeah, in, in so many of these areas, although you know, people are perceiving this fundamental change, it, st- it certainly hasn't happened yet. Uh, and so, even though people want to price these securities down and and the spread's so tight right now, the reality is many of these companies are still suffering they're waiting for consumption to come back they they need that uh, and so the the Federal Reserve will have to look at how they play that game, but also in the end consumption to to generate cash flow for these companies
1: yeah, that's not a good sign you know john um you have not been shy about uh, telling clients what you think about this. Avoid bonds like the plague due to inflation. Uh, you wrote that to me uh, this morning, but I've known you, that way. you feel that way for a while. Uh, does that also go for, for high yield um, right now? What are you telling your clients about about high yield?
3: You know, um, I think high yield credit is one of these things like you go to a restaurant and you look at a menu and something looks good. You order it and then you get the food and, and you're like, you know, why did I buy it? Um you know, there's, like, a lot of risk, and you know? I don't think you're being compensated for that risk for high-yield credit. Like, I, we're not an insurance company. We don't have, like, liabilities that we're trying to, you know, match with, you know, a certain type of yield. We're, we're looking for the best return for you know our risk. And at the end of the day, you know, interest rates are the ultimate equalizer because all asset classes compete with one another. So, you know, are you going to put your $100 and buy high-dividend yield in stock? Are you going to buy a high-yield credit? Are you going to buy, you know, some – Physical real estate, or, you know, y- you want to search for the best return for unit of risk. And when I look at high yield credit, okay, fine, you're going to get you know five percent yield, but your total return is not that attractive. And then anytime you get a recession, you know you can lose thirty percent on on HYG or or you know any type of high yield credit fund. So you know you get all the downside, but not a lot of the upside. So you'll just never convince me that you're better off owning high yield credit compared to like a high dividend paying. Stock or an ETF. So, if you look at the SYD, the Spider's Dividend ETF versus HYG, um, you know over the last ten years, you basically get double the compound annual growth for SDY compared to HYG. Uh, yes, it is a higher risk level, but you know it more than compensated. So, the risk-adjusted return or the Sharpe ratio is higher. Um, so, I, I just think there's a better place to put your money. Our big view, Bob, is that you know. Ten years is going much higher. I think I think it's going to be closer to three percent where this thing goes. You know, we're just printing money, and yeah. you know, there's just a ton of supply out there, and I don't see anyone right. looking so, to step in and buy these bonds.
1: So, John, if it goes, if, if the ten year goes to three uh, percent, is it high yield? Uh, high yield isn't going to sit at at four and a half percent, is it? I mean, high yield's going to is going to go to six or seven, isn't it? The, the is do you think the spread is going to change if the if the ten year goes to three percent?
3: Well, I mean, I'll, I'll let Steve chime in on that. Steve, Steve's the expert, and I've known Steve for a while, and Steve's very, very smart. Um, but, you know, for me, it's like, okay, if you can get 3% risk-free rate, and even, you know, if, if the high-yield credit is, you know, 5 6%, like, is it worth taking all that risk when you can get, you know, 3% in a and, 10-year? And still, at the end of the day, I'd much rather own, you know, some high-dividend-paying stock that over time can increase their dividend to, keep, to catch up with the inflation, right? You, you know, Last time I checked, bonds don't
1: increase yeah. their
3: their coupons yeah uh, Steve what about that I, I'm look I know you're
1: you're not a portfolio manager obviously so you don't have to uh, I'm not asking you to defend anybody's position uh, on that but it it is a, a point if yields go to three percent is it, what was if the 10-year goes to three percent excuse me what is what does that mean for for high yield and does that make other assets you know a lot more attractive on a on a risk-adjusted basis, he was suggesting, you know, high dividend stocks. I don't know. First of all, is it your your base case or is it BlackRock's base case that the tenure would, could, could go to three percent? And, and again, I'm I'm not trying to ask you to act like a portfolio manager. I know you're not. You manage the funds. But um, what's the base case here? I think,
2: by and large, we think rates will be uh, will be reasonably contained. You know, they've they've come a fair amount since the lows of last August. Um, We'll see, right? Um, There's some uncertainty out there about, you know, just how um, rapid the recovery is going to be, um, what the policy responses will be down the road. I think, by and large, we still think that, you know, rates can move higher, but we don't believe it will be, um, you know, violent um, going forward. I I think, you know, to the question about how do you size up high yield relative to, say, treasuries, um, it really does depend on what you're your portfolio income targets are, right? So, you know, if you, if you do have, um, you know, a lower yield target in your portfolio, um, you can get comfortable with, with owning, um, you know, treasuries or, um, you know, if you're worried about in, uh, inflation, um, you know, tips, uh, etc. cetera. Um, in high yield, I, I would also point out that I think if you do want that higher income target in your portfolio, um, you know, it's not a one-size-fits-all thing. You can uh, pick your spots in high yield. So, as an example, um, I mentioned, you know, we have a, um, you know, a factor fund or what some people call smart beta, which this has been going on in equities for a while. But it's this idea that you, you know, you screen on quality and tilt towards value. Um, you know, as it turns out, that that's working pretty well. And the idea is, is that, you know, you try to um, screen out names that are more likely um, to uh, to suffer defaults. Um, that fund, I think, over the last three years has been a, a top decile uh, performing uh, fund by yep. Morningstar, so there are ways to play this um, without just necessarily taking high yield as one size fits all.
1: Yeah, and and what about that spread uh, that John was talking about? If let's assume we go to three percent on the ten year in the next you know year or something like that, I mean high yield isn't going to be four and a half percent if the ten year goes to three percent, right? I mean there's going to be so. Do, do you anticipate the spread widening or closing if 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 we do see continuing Creep up in yields in, in Treasury yields.
2: I think it, it depends um, exactly what you just said. Whether it's um, whether it's a gradual increase in rates. If it's a violent increase in rates, I think risk assets um, across the board uh, may not react that well, at least initially, to that. If it's a more gradual increase in rates, um, you know, can you see significant spread tightening in high yields from here? I mean, if you look at the historical averages. Uh, You know, we're not uh, we're not that far off of, of, you know, tights. Um, As I said before, I think this is more about the market started pricing and reopening. Um, You know, fundamentals are kind of catching up to that. Um, So, you know, all things equal, um, if you would assume that if treasuries uh, rise and they do so, you know, in in a gradual way, that that spreads will um, sort of keep pace with that. And then, you know, yields in high yield, of course, will go up, um, you know, uh, commensurately. So,
1: yeah. Yeah. Uh, Isaac, I guess let me lay out the problem for the average CNBC investor that contacts me, they'll typically they've been forced much more into high yield in the last four or five years, of course. Mm -hmm. Um, So it wouldn't be unusual for somebody to say, I have five percent of my uh, of my portfolio in high yield, 10 percent. Even I see I see even more in some circumstances. Mm -hmm. And now they're messaging saying, "Okay, what does everybody think should I do with it now? Now, John's position is on a risk-adjusted basis, it's probably not worth it to hold so much high yield, say 10 percent, pick a number, uh, and maybe should transfer into, he suggests, high uh, dividend-paying stocks. Does that make any sense to you, Isaac, or what what are you recommending here instead?
0: Yeah, you know, I think when we look at those equity markets, and obviously there is outperformance period, especially if you compare, as John did, the, the past decade where it was in absolutely roaring bull market for equities but at this point in time when you look at high yields it it isn't about decade-long periods it's about multi-year periods for most investors and high yields surprisingly usually outperform the S&P the first three years coming out of a recession Uh, and you can go all the way back to the 1970s to, to see that average so there's there is a definite exposure to high yields as these investors look for bonds as a portion of their portfolio Problem is, is, like you just said, the last few years, investors have continued to flock to these assets, uh, desperate for yields with the 10-year, the uh, not from a real yield standpoint, not covering the the delta it needed to get past interest, uh, inflation, and high yields did. Uh, and there's certain spots within the high-yield markets where you still have relatively wide spreads. You know, If you're in energy, transportation, industrials, you have a spread range between about 570 and 628 points. If you're in communications or finance utilities, you have that 323 to 360 or so, and that's compared to the 340 that the whole high-yield market has. So I think being very specific in the areas is important, but investors are still looking for a yield. I would agree with John that investors have driven this price really far down, and it's showing significant risk right now. How much reward can you get for this yield? If rates were to rise, historically, if you saw a 1% increase in rates from here, high yields, convertibles, floating rates, those are really the only three places you can normally hide in the bond markets. But at the same time, we're dealing with a huge yield compression. Uh, And so with defaults starting to decrease, you're going to have interest rate sensitivity be a major struggle. Uh, And that default is important. I mean, if you're looking at defaults at 6.17, I would agree that they would go down substantially from here over the year as long as we get – uh, expansion, <clears throat> but you still have very under unattractive underlyings for the yields that are being paid. I mean, look at the Tesla runs as an example. To go from a 9.5 yield to now paying out 2.3, uh, you're talking about high, high-end investment-grade bond levels there. The same thing happened with Carnival. They, right. they went from a 12% yield to a 3.26, and that's with a negative 5.5 on their earnings per share. So people are – giving money to this asset class, really hoping it will do something. Last year, it didn't even cover its yield. So there is pent-up opportunity yeah. in many of these different areas.
1: What, what about that? And let me just throw out to anybody who wants to. I mean, in one area I do see that's kind of risky uh, for people is the sheer supply uh, of debt out there. Uh, we keep reporting on uh, on secondary debt offerings um, in, in not only investment grade, but high yield here. And uh, thanks to... Uh, um, to uh, Steve at iShares for supplying this total high yield debt nuitions, 2020 400 billion dollars year to date over 100 billion dollars uh, can companies cover all this debt from their cash flow guys anybody want to take a crack at this this is a, a concern that investors <clears throat> have
0: yeah i think that's the big challenge is you know it's being met easily with the the bidder from the investor wanting to take exposure to this but we've talked about for a while the, the zombie company mentality, and this can definitely show up in the high yields. They're, they're getting free access to debt. They're able to roll over debt with these very, very low rates. But will they be able to generate profits that, that can cover this? And we think that's the challenge over the short term. And that's why high yields have really kind of gone flatlined here for a little while as they're trying to see what's real about the economy. Stocks can, can jump off into the future very easily. Well, but high yields have a maturity date attached well, to them. They can't do that.
1: Yeah, Isaac or anybody, has the underlying fundamentals of these high of of these companies issuing high yield debt improved at all? I mean, do they have more cash flow, or are, or are we just essentially having these zombie companies created, or keep going because the Fed is essentially ring fenced the the inevitable default
0: uh, ratio for these? Yeah, I mean, I'll say one thing before I pass it to the, to the other guys. I think certain areas like energy now having oil where it is, and we know that the average price for oil producers to be in the mid-50s to be profitable. So now you're in the 60s. Uh, I think that helps recovery rates instantly because with defaults last year, so many companies uh, or other energy companies weren't going to be buying the lease or the equipment of a failing company. Today, they're able to. So there's still companies not able to to meet. Uh, cost, they're going to go under, but others can jump in there. That will push recovery rates up, that will help out the markets. But also, when you're talking about this amount of issuance of debt. You're seeing a consolidation with the high yields. As these rising stars uh, start to move out, the ones that were fallen angels before start to move out of the junk bond space, you're getting a consolidation of what's available to you in inventory. Now, there's a lot of issuances, but you're getting a smaller group of of securities to work from, and a lot of them are showing up in the triple C space that that you still have to be nervous about.
1: Right. So, uh, Steve, what about any other particular sectors of high yield? That are, that are vulnerable. I mean, he mentioned energy. I don't know if you want to comment on energy, but what about, I don't know, malls or something like that, uh, real estate?
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I think the f- one, one interesting thing um, to point out about high yield over time, and, and, and this this is uh, actually um, pretty interesting, is that the, the overall quality of the universe, um, notwithstanding what's happened uh, during the pandemic, but if you look over the past, um, you know, 10 odd years post-financial crisis, the amount of double B's has increased from you know a little over a third um, in I, I believe it was around two thousand seven uh, to over fifty percent now same time triple C's um, have decreased uh, their portion to um, I think the low teens um, from around twenty percent uh, pre-crisis. so the overall um, health of the universe has been improving over time. I think in terms of you know interest coverage um, you know that's starting to Show improvement. If you look at, you know, where we sort of troughed, um, it wasn't that far off of previous, um, you know, compression and interest coverage. And it, it seems like it's starting to improve. So, you know, again, fundamentals, you're, you are going to need um, a solid handoff between the stimulus measures now and, and real growth. Um, you know, the energy yeah. sector, um, as was pointed out, is improving. Um, you know, in terms of what um, what sectors are of of you know concern, I mean, I think you know from a from a fundamental standpoint, you know you you wonder about um, you know retailers long term, um how they're kind of coping through this, and then you know what their cash flow profiles will look like going forward as an example. I do think it's it's good news that oil um, is above sixty. It's helping those energy companies. And by the way, Bob, I think you may have pointed this out before the energy company default rate was was approaching 20 percent. So they were really driving a lot of the overall default rate for high yield. Same thing with recovery. Energy recoveries were quite low, which is dragging down that recovery rate to the low 20s. So it is good news that uh, that, that profile is improving.
0: Go ahead. I was going to say on that real estate John- side, it's a mix too, right? When you look at what's going on with, uh, with office space. That's gonna be a problem for a while. Retail mm-hmm. is trying some, some new, uh, with low rents, they're trying some new store methods and, and structures. Then you have residential real estate who's doing extremely well, but with the energy prices moving up, you're now seeing lumber move towards double the price over just the last few months, and that's going to squeeze the, those home builders. It'll help uh, existing home sales, but it'll, it'll be challenging in other spots. So these, these companies that are in the junk space Really, you know, one, one piece moving affects a whole bunch of different areas for them to continue to make profitability and cash flow.
1: Yeah, good point. Uh, John, while I've got you here, a slightly different subject here. The Bitcoin ETF, uh, Van X Bitcoin ETF was acknowledged by the SEC last week. That's important because it sets in motion a 45-day period whereby at the end of the 45 days, they either have to uh, accept the the application, reject the application, or essentially uh, delay it for further review. Do you you have any thoughts on what's going to happen? There are some people actually are very optimistic that this may be finally the year for a a, a Bitcoin ETF. Uh, Any thoughts on this?
3: Yeah, I I think there's a place for Bitcoin in in someone's portfolio. Um, You know, as long as it's sized appropriately, you know, less than 5% or so. Um, I, I think there's plenty of other ETFs in the ecosystem which, a much more, you know, kind of obscure, you know, triple levered, you know, natural gas and whatnot, and, and VIX features triple levered. So I, I just think it's the, the time for it. I think we've got the administration, and I think if you look at, you know, who's in charge and, you know, things at FCC, you know, I, I think that all bodes well. So it's, it's just a matter of time. And, um, you know, I, I do think that it's better to have a listed pool vehicle as opposed to going on an exchange and paying tons of bid offer. Um, so so I I think the time has come and, and there is a place in people's portfolio for digital assets.
1: Yeah, I think the ecosystem is certainly more stable than it was three years ago. Whether it's still acceptable as some kind of medium of exchange or whether the SEC still wants to get into the, the business uh, of regulating that, I'm not clear. It's certainly a more improved environment, though. I'd say this is the best chances it's ever had this year uh, for getting through. Now it's time to round out the conversation with some analysis and perspective to help you better understand ETFs. This is our Markets 102 portion of the podcast. Today, we'll be continuing our conversation about high yields with Steve Lapley from iShares. Uh, Steve, I know you run uh, HYG, which is the biggest uh, high yield fund in the world. Uh, You oversee it. Um, But I'm wondering about the broader flows into bond funds um, this year. There's been a lot of concerns about lower prices and higher yields. Um, What kind of flows are we seeing into bonds? Are there flows into and out of particular bond sectors at all? Just update us.
2: Yeah, it's actually interesting. Um, And, you know, it depends on the sector. So, um, as you might imagine, you're seeing outflows in treasuries. You're seeing outflows in rate-sensitive sectors such as uh, investment-grade corporates. Um, interestingly, you're seeing inflows into broader high yield, and I think that's part of uh, portfolio completion. Um, you know, just this idea of having ballast in a multi-asset portfolio. So those flows have actually been uh, fairly robust. Um, not surprisingly, you are seeing flows into inflation-protected. Uh, funds tips um, and you 're also seeing flows into uh, municipals as well, and as we talked about high yield flows um, are a little bit mixed I think overall um, in the us um, flows and high yield um, are more or less flat. Um, you have some funds that are seeing inflows, other funds that are that are seeing outflows so you know in the context of, of rising rates, um, you know the flows we're seeing tend to make sense
1: yeah the the, the mixed uh, inflows, outflows into high yield makes a lot of sense. The, other than broad um, stock investment, high yield funds is the sector I get the most inquiries from from the viewers. It's the second biggest one. Like what? Very typically, I have five to ten percent of my portfolio in high yield. What should I do with it now? Now, I mean, a lot of people' reaction is you know, with rates going up, it's not going to be a good idea, and yet you know, logically, we're going into an economic expansion. It doesn't seem like the companies here are at extremely high risk of suddenly having a massive increase in their default rates. Is there? I mean, what is the risk of owning high yield right now?
0: I think
2: uh, the concerns that that are typically raised, um, you know, just the fact that spreads have, have tightened a fair amount, um, concerns about you know if you did have a, a more rapid than expected increase in, in interest rates, how um, how the asset class might react to that, and would that ultimately translate into pressure on companies in terms of, uh, of their funding and interest coverage, et cetera. I mean one, one interesting thing to note, um, our shorter duration version of hyG um, is actually uh, it's actually generated a positive return this year. Uh, despite those um, rising interest rates. So, um, you know, I, I mentioned this in the in the um, you know the the show. You know, high yield um, is not necessarily a one size fit all fits all. You can uh, pick your spots. So, you know, as an example, we've had investors um, allocate to SHYG our shorter um, HYG fund. We've had investors, obviously last year, allocate to Fallen Angels, which returned close to uh, to fifteen percent. Um, This year, we're seeing uh, folks allocate to double Bs, um, as an example. So there's a lot of granularity um, within high yield that um, exists now in ETFs that did not exist in years past. So, you know, I think um, investors can be a lot more um, precise with how they actually allocate to the asset class.
1: Now, explain how falling yields work. uh, I'm sorry, fall. Fallen angels work in this environment. Obviously, in a fallen angels, you have people who were in investment grade who slipped down into the high yield uh, level. What does that mean for investors in that particular asset group when yields are rising?
2: Well, the, the fallen angel phenomenon has has been um, you know something that's been known and talked about for a long period of time, and. Um, you know, in a nutshell, it works like this. Um, you know, when companies are downgraded from investment grade to high yield, uh, the view is is that um, you know a number of mandates um, can no longer hold them, have to sell them, and that the um, you know the sell off, the downward pressure on those names tends to be um, you know overdone, and therefore there's there's a, a premium that can be captured by investing in them um, after they've been downgraded. And so. That's that's the fallen angel phenomenon. And so we, we obviously saw a couple hundred billion fallen angels happen uh, last year. And we saw investors react um, accordingly to that and invest in the asset class. Um, the, the interesting thing happening this year is that you're starting to see rising stars. And that's the opposite, Bob, where you have upgrades right. from high yield to investment grade. That's actually outpacing uh, fallen angels uh, this year. So it's, it's sort of turning around. Um, As as this reopening trade starts to uh, starts to set in.
1: Well, along those lines, I've been rather surprised that the recovery rates here are still pretty low, around 20 percent. Are the fundamental of I I would think that the fundamentals of these companies would be improving somewhat as the economic recovery gains some steam overall. Uh, And uh, a lot of these companies seem to be waiting for consumption to come back. Is it too much to ask about to, to, to assume that the, the fundamentals of these companies ought to be a little bit better than it was a year ago?
2: Well, I think it's going to. I think it's going to take some time. I think you are starting, uh, you know, to see some uh, some improvement. Um, you know, don't don't forget as well, um, the recovery rate is also being skewed a bit by certain sectors. So, um, energy recovery rates were quite low, and I think if you strip out. Um, energy and some some other related sectors, that the actual recovery rate is closer to 30, um, as opposed to the low 20s. And, you know, traditionally that number has been 40. So for for sure it's a bit below. But, you know, again, I think what um, has to happen here is that you do have to have a a handoff between, um, you know, the stimulus measures and, you know, real Underlying growth, um, you know, longer-term growth, which will allow um, you know the the right. fundamentals and the profiles of these companies uh, to improve.
1: Well, but with oil at sixty dollars, the recovery rates going to improve on, on on energy stocks, isn't it? I mean, it's got to be better. Than it was at yeah.
2: forty, right? Uh, certainly, the fundamentals um, yeah. should start improving. I mean, that that is a helpful helpful fact for that sector.
1: Yeah. And uh, you mentioned uh, just going back to what you were talking about flows earlier big inflows into tips. I, I find tips a remarkable investment. I mean what what is it now minus 0.6% something like that the yield on on tips. I mean it's it's remarkable that anyone would would invest in it and yet you're seeing you're seeing inflows in anticipation that that will
2: change, right? Yeah, I, I think so tips um you know obviously are are also a treasury security but they do have this inflation protection feature. So Investors um, who are um, buying TIPS have a view that um, you know, realized inflation is going to exceed what's uh, currently being priced by the market. Uh, right now, if you look at 10 years, that's around, I, I believe it's around the 2.3 percent level. So um, uh, folks who are investing in TIPS have, have a view that that is going to um, be greater um, than that level, and um, they'll be able to be compensated for that if, if they're correct. But that is the view. If you're investing in tips, um, you have to believe that what the market's priced in is actually going to underclub um, what ultimate inflation um, uh, is, you know, how inflation's ultimately realized. So, right. you know, one, one interesting right. part of and that. The, um, I, yeah, the
1: component ahead. of the component of that is that the two point three percent is the current inflation level. And you're saying that investors are betting that number is going to be wrong, essentially.
2: Yeah, the, the market's pricing in around 2.3 uh, percent, I believe, give or take. And so, investors who who are investing in tips believe that number is ultimately going to be higher.
1: Yeah, the uh, so what are we at 1.6 percent on the 10 year, and if we got two percent inflation, it's minus the real rate is minus minus 0.4 percent. And obviously, people aren't betting that the the number is going to be higher that the inflation, the actual inflation rate is going to be higher.
2: Yeah, and, and to your yeah. point, um, real, real rates are negative. So it really at this point is about, um, you know, your view on where inflation ultimately comes in. Um, some people have very strong views that um, that it is going to come in higher than what the market expects uh, just because yeah. of the sheer magnitude of stimulus. Going to leave it there,
1: Steve. I really appreciate you taking the time out. Steve Lapley, uh, folks, One uh, oversees HYG, which is uh, the biggest high-yield ETF in the world and o- oversees the entire— uh, iShares fixed income portfolio there. Steve, thanks very much for joining us. Really appreciate your help. Thanks for having me, Bob. Everybody have a healthy, happy, and safe trading week.
0: Invesco QQQ believes new innovations create new opportunities. Here's to greater possibilities together. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Invesco Distributors, Inc.